This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, good morning. I was hoping that uh, we would get started a little early because I have so many things I wanted to share with you today, but um, God's going to bless and help us make up for the time. How many of you were part of the United Prayer Time this morning? Any of you go to that morning prayer time? That was powerful, wasn't it? If you have not been, I want to encourage you to go to the 6 a.m. United Prayer in room 330A. It's all the way down at the other end. You'll see the big orange prayer sign for the United in Prayer. And it's just a powerful way to start our days together um, as a family of believers. This you can also take, this United Prayer, for those of you that have experienced it, maybe for the first time, you can take it back to your churches and your home groups and your families. It's really, really powerful. Okay, well, um, we have a lot to cover. This morning's seminar is Growing an Above and Beyond Faith. Now, where do we have above and beyond from? I actually get it from Ephesians 3.20, which is one of my favorite Bible verses. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So we're going to talk about growing in above and beyond faith, even when we don't understand what God is doing, even when it seems like he's not working, even when it looks like he's silent. And I'm going to share some more of my own testimony today as well. So before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for the opportunity to come together, and I just pray that you would speak through me. I just pray that your strength would be made perfect in my weakness this morning, Father. I ask that you would cover me with your righteousness. And Father, I'm just asking that you would just touch our hearts in a special way, that we would not leave this room the same way that we walked in. Father, you know the hurts, the pains, the discouragements that we've been through in our life, um, in our lives and sometimes in our prayer life, not understanding what you're doing. And I just pray that today faith could be rekindled to hold on to you, so just please touch our hearts, I pray. Thank you for hearing this prayer in your precious name. Amen. Um, just real quick, um, as we're getting started, I just want to remind you again, I'm going to be sharing a lot of quotes as I've been sharing in each seminar. And if you want to go back and look at those quotes, because you're not necessarily going to have time to take pictures of them, um, they're all going to be in PDFs on Daring to Ask for More website. Just go to daringtoaskformore.com. And if you go to Above and Beyond Seminars, pick the GYC seminar, and you can click and you can download all six of the presentation PDFs there, um, as well as the prayer cards that I talked about yesterday and other prayer resources off of the website. How do we have an above and beyond faith? I want to talk about faith to begin with because we see in the scriptures that faith is one of the most emphasized gifts in all of the scripture. We find that faith is actually the gateway to receiving all other gifts. You see that the sick are healed by faith, we're saved through faith, justified by faith, we work through faith, we live by faith, on and on and on, we see that faith is a vital part of our receiving every other gift 
that we have. And it was, it's really interesting to see that if we don't have faith, that's actually sin, right? Now remember, to all has been given a measure of faith, but we can allow that measure to be taken away. Um, in Revelation 21, 21.8, I was really shocked to read one time this list of all the different people that it's talking about. Let's just look there really quick. Revelation 21.8. Revelation 21.8, it says... But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all these things will have their part in the lake of fire. Now you see this list, but what is the very first on the list? It's the fearful and the unbelieving. And when I saw that for, for the first time, I was so shocked. I mean, why are fearful and unbelieving on a list of those that we're told actually are going to be in the lake of fire? It's because God has to have a people that will trust him and trust his word. Where did the fall happen? It happened over the reliability of his word. Eve says, I believe what you're saying rather than what God says. We have to trust God's word. We have to have faith in God's word. And so that is a prerequisite. And he has given us that faith. It's very interesting because when we look at what happened with the children of Israel, Coming out of Egypt, they came all the way through the wilderness and to the promised land, and they sent 12 spies into the promised land, right, to see what the promised land was like. Ten of them came back with an evil report. Two of them came back with a positive report. Ten of them came back and said, there's giants in the land. It's too great. We can't overcome it, all of this, right? But the ten said, but God has led us this far. He's going to get us the rest of the way. We can do this. And the 10, no, 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 we can't do this. And they swayed the people. And the people are like, why'd you bring us here to die? We can't do this, right? <laughs> you know the story. And so what did God do? He said, Numbers 14, 28, as the Lord said, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do to you. Do you realize the power of the spoken word? When we speak doubt, when God has told us to go forward, this is what happens. He says, you don't believe. As you've said, that's what it's going to be. It is so important that we speak faith. We're told to talk and act as if our faith was invincible. The Lord is rich in resources. He owns the world. Look heavenward in place. In fact, we're told never even to give a place to a thought of discouragement in the work of God. In their unbelief, Israel actually limited the power of God. You know, it's easy for us when we look at what happened with the children of Israel and to think, if I had been them, like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been complaining. After all, look at what God did, right? And we think, how could they do that? They were almost to the promised land, and their doubt held them back. But listen what Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets 293. Many look back to the Israelites and marvel at their unbelief and murmuring, feeling that they themselves would not have been so ungrateful. But when their faith is tested, even by little trials, they manifest no more faith or patience than did ancient Israel. This is us today. When brought into straight places, they murmur at the process by which God has chosen to purify them. Though their present needs are supplied, many are unwilling to trust God for the future, and they are in constant anxiety. Lest poverty should come upon them and their children be left to suffer. We don't want to repeat what happened with the children of Israel. We've been talking a lot about prayer and prayer being the key in the hand of faith. 
faith is so foundational. If our prayers and our lives and our actions are not rooted um, in the Word of God and in faith, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall flat. We're, I want to talk briefly about the battle over fact versus feeling. This is something I've struggled with a lot in my life, and I'm sure many of you have as well. So let's just talk about the difference between fact versus feeling. Fact is what we find in God's Word. Fact, although built on unseen realities and invisible promises, does not waver as it reflects the unchanging nature of God. He can't lie. He will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is more eager to give us good gifts than we are to give good gifts to our children. So when we base faith on fact, we have a firm foundation to weather any storms. And that is when we are based. Um, and the fact, of course, is the word of God. Feeling, on the other hand, is constantly wavering. It's based on our personal experiences, changing emotions, anxiety, spiritual lethargy, and unanswered prayers. Rather than counseling the word of God for its decisions, feelings takes counsel from self, from worldly wisdom, from skeptical friends, and the past unproductive Christian experience. When we base faith on feelings, which come and go, it's as, it's as if we are building our house upon the sand. The storms come, and we don't have any strength to stand because our feelings are constantly changing, just like the sand. So what does faith look like in daily life? <clears throat> This is powerful. This, this has really been revolutionary to me. Faith takes God at his word, with or without feeling. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We can believe our fellow men. Can we not trust the word of God? When we go to him for wisdom or grace, we're not to look to ourselves to see if he's given us a special feeling that he's answered our prayers. Feeling is no criterion. Great evils have resulted when Christians have followed feeling. How do I know that Jesus hears my prayers? How do we know? We know it by his promise, right? He says he will hear the needy when they cry unto him, and I believe his word. He's never said to the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. If we walk in the light, we may come to the throne of grace with holy boldness. We may present the promises of God in living faith and urge our petitions. And although we are weak and erring and unworthy, and just in case you wondered, this is all of us. It's not some of us are a little weak and erring and unworthy. I'm not more worthy than you are. We are all unworthy of the grace of God. But yet we are told the Spirit helps our infirmities. Remember, our greatest qualification is our great need. This is our greatest qualification. When we've offered our petitions once, we must not then abandon it, but say as did Jacob when he wrestled all night, I will not let you go except you bless me. And like him, we shall prevail. I have different people ask me, you know, when I speak and talk a lot about prayer, do you always feel like praying? Do you think I always feel like praying? No, I don't. I struggle, you know, with those up and down feelings just like you do, but I have to go back and just like, Lord, help me. I, I, I'm not in a very good mood right now. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like whatever, but I have to base on your word of God. And that's what I'm continually seeking to, to turn myself back to. It's really interesting because this actually holds back our prayers many times because we don't feel like praying and we're like, well, why should I pray, right? It's just going to be a mockery to God if I pray right now. I should wait till I'm more in the mood and then it will be right. But listen, Satan uses this very ploy to keep us from praying. 
The enemy holds many of you from prayer by telling you that you do not feel your prayers. And you would better wait until you realize more of the spirit of intercession, lest your prayers should be a mockery. But you must say to Satan, it is written that men ought always to pray and not to faint. We should pray until we have the burden of our wants upon our souls, and if we persevere, we shall have it. The Lord will imbue us with his spirit. So when you don't feel like praying, that's when we need to start praying. That's when we need to ask God to help us pray. Now I'm going to go through um, rather quickly four tests of persevering prayer and faith. And these are tests that I believe like many of us walk through. If we haven't walked through it, we probably will at some point. I want to start by um, turning in our Bibles to Matthew 15. So if you wouldn't mind opening your Bible with me to Matthew 15. Here in Matthew chapter 15, we're actually going to start... Um, in verse 22, we have a Canaanite woman that has come to Jesus, and she has a daughter that is very sick. In fact, her daughter is grievously vexed with a devil, right? She's very sick. And she's coming to Jesus because she's heard that he's a worker of miracles. She's heard about this man that is healing people. And so she comes, probably as a last hope to Jesus, hoping that he can help her daughter. So let's just look at the story together. Uh, Matthew 15, starting verse 22. And behold, a woman came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Verse 23. But he answered her not a word. Now let's just stop right there. So she has come with her request, and she comes pleading, Lord, please have mercy on me. Heal my daughter. She's sick. And he answers her not a word. How would you feel if you came with your request to somebody and and you were basically ignored? That'd be a little hard, right? (laughs) Be a little hard. But listen what happens next. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. So not only... Did he ignore her? But evidently she's making a little bit of a nuisance of herself. And the disciples notice that Jesus ignores her. And he says, send her away. She's crying after us. Send her away. And so how would you feel if you were this mother, come with your child to Jesus, and you pleaded, Lord, please have mercy on my child. Please heal my child. He he doesn't even act like he sees you, right? And then his disciples, send her away. She's annoying us. Would you, stick, would you still stick around and keep giving your request? Okay, let's go on. If you didn't know the end of the story, would you stick around? <laughs> okay, verse 24. Finally, Jesus speaks. And he answered and said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now listen, look at this. Watch me. (laughs) She's cried after Jesus. He ignores her. The disciples say, send her away. She's annoying us. Then he finally does speak to her. And he says, I didn't come to help you. I came to help them. 
How would that be if you were that person making that request? Just like an arrow through your heart, right? Like, but Lord, I came, I need a miracle. Lord, I didn't come to help you. I came to help the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Would you keep asking? But what is her response? Instead of running away in verse 25, her response, Lord, she worships him. Help me, please, Lord, help me. The story continues. Verse 26, Jesus speaks again, but he answered and said, it's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Do you see what Jesus did said, just said? So not only has he ignored her request, the disciples tried to send her away. He said, I didn't come for you. I came for them. And then he just said, it's not meat to cast the children's bread before the dogs. He basically just called her a little dog. How would you feel if that was you coming before somebody who you desperately need to help you? And this is their response. Would you keep asking? Listen what she says. Verse 27. Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So this is what she's saying. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there's been times in your life where you have prayed and you haven't seen an answer. You see other people praying and they're getting answers. And you're like, Lord, why? You know, to be honest... You're thinking to yourself, I'm really not worthy of a miracle. They, you know, they're good Christians. They do such and such. I'm not worthy. I can understand. I'm not worthy. But you know what this woman says? I may not be worthy. I might be a dog, but the dogs eat of the crumbs of the master's table. Lord, please, I just need a crumb. She would be so happy with just a crumb, and she's persevering. Would that be our response? Now listen, Jesus finally speaks again in verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Now I want to ask you as we reflect on that story, do you think that Jesus really felt like she was being an annoyance? No. He, he certainly didn't feel like she was just a dog, right? You know why this woman was allowed to go through these steps? We're actually told an in inspiration that it was to be a lesson for us to persevere and hold on even when we do not immediately see the answers to our prayers. It was testing the genuineness of her faith. How was she really going to hold on? Was she really going to ten tenaciously hold on and say, I will not let go except you bless me? We're told in Steps to Christ, page 96, that through sincere prayer, we are brought into connection with the mind of the infinite. We may have had no remarkable evidence that the face of our Redeemer is bending over us in compassion and love, but this is even so. We may not feel his visible touch, but his hand is upon us in love and pitting tenderness. Test number two. We already talked about Lazarus yesterday. But what do you do when God appears to have forgotten? I imagine there's a few of you in this room that feel like God showed up four days too late. You prayed and you prayed and he came too late. The miracle that you prayed for didn't happen. 
But you know, when God is late, it is because there is a reason, and we have to keep trusting him. We're actually told that he did not many mighty works um, with the children of Israel because of their unbelief. We need to hold on. Here's an interesting quote on the purpose of delay. <clears throat> Answers delayed reveal our selfishness. He who blessed the nobleman at Capernaum is just as desirous of blessing us. But like the afflicted father, we're often led to seek Jesus by the desire for some earthly good. And upon the granting of our requests, we rest our confidence in his love. The Savior longs to give us a greater blessing than we ask, and he delays the answer to our request, that he may show us the evil of our hearts and our deep need of his grace. He desires us to renounce the selfishness that leads us to seek him. Confessing our helplessness and bitter need, we are to trust ourselves wholly to his love. If God just immediately gave us everything we asked for, we would become very selfish, even more self-centered people than we are, you know? He has to grow us, and often as we pray, we also begin to realize maybe what we were praying for isn't exactly what we needed. Maybe there's a real purpose in the delay. Test number three, when the natural realm seems too powerful. Think about Peter walking on water. Uh, he was called out of the boat. But then he looks around and the waves and the sea are getting tumultuous and he begins to think, what was I doing? Oh no, what was I doing? And you know, I've seen this happen again and again and again. When we step out in faith to follow God, we are going to be tested <laughs> because the enemy's going to throw up uh, the sandstorm and the winds and the waves and he's going to be saying, just how serious are you? You really think that you're going to do this for God? Who do you think you are? And our whole focus is, is we have to keep our eyes on Jesus because the storm is going to seem too powerful. And we're going to feel like we stepped out of the boat and we're sinking. And that's why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Will you hold on? Will you trust him when the natural realm seems too powerful? You know, we're told in Desire of Ages, natural impossibilities cannot prevent the work of the Omnipotent One. I remember um, a few years ago, uh, a very, very um, dear friend, she's, she's like an adopted mother um, for me because I lived in their home for about 10 years while I was going to school. And um, she came down, she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And the more that we saw the doctor and the more things were going on, the worse her diagnosis was getting. And it was a real, real earth-shaking event for all of us because I felt like I was about to lose one of my best friends and mentors and just didn't know what to do. And I was crying and crying and devastated. I'd never had somebody really close to me that I had lost. And so I remember I was driving to the hospital one time and I was praying and I was just like, Lord, you can heal. You know, do something about this. You have to heal. We can't, you know, we can't lose her. And I was praying and crying. And, and while I was in the car, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Um, you know the story of Daniel and his three friends in the fiery furnace, right? From Daniel 3, um, 17 and 18. Daniel's three friends were faced with the fiery furnace. And they were said, you know, you, you either bow down or you're going to go into that fiery furnace. And you know what they told the king? They said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't deliver, we're not going to bow down. That's what God spoke to me in that car that day when I was traveling and just devastating crying because it's looking like she may not live. And I felt like God was telling me, you know what, Melody, I'm able to heal. 
But even if I don't, are you still going to trust me? Are you still going to hold on? That's the test that we often are faced with. We serve a God who's able. I told stories yesterday about how he's raised, God has raised people from the dead, even in today's generation. It's happening even now. We see what he is doing. He is able, but he's looking for a people that aren't just going to trust him when he does what they ask him to do. He's looking for people that are going to trust him because he's God and he knows what's best. And we're going to trust him because he is good. Uh, Incidentally, praise the Lord. Um, She ended up having surgery and she's cancer free um, to this day. So God did work on her behalf and I praise God for that. But that was a real, real trial in my life. We wonder sometimes why trials and all these things come upon us. You know, I don't know about you have ever prayed, Lord, help me, help me have more of a character like you. And then all these trials come upon you to help you have a character like him. Many who sincerely consecrate their lives to God's service are surprised and disappointed to find themselves as never before confronted by obstacles and beset by trials and perplexities. They pray for Christ-likeness of character, for a fitness for the Lord's work in their place and circumstances that seem to call forth all the evil of their nature. Have you ever felt like that? Oh, Lord, why did you put me here? If it was not for this church, I could actually be a good Christian. If it was not for this family, I should actually be a good witness. You know, he puts us in situations actually to build our character and to show us how to be witnesses in those situations. Faults are revealed of which they did not even suspect the existence. Like Israel of old, they question, if God's leading us, why do all these things come upon us? But it's because God is leading that these things come. Trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods of discipline and his appointed conditions of success. He who reads the hearts of men knows their characters better than they know themselves. He sees that some have powers and susceptibilities which rightly directed might be used in the advancement of his work. In his providence, he brings these persons into different positions and varied circumstances that they may discover their character defects which have been concealed from their own knowledge. He gives them opportunity to correct these defects and to fit themselves for his service. Often he permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they may be purified. The fact that we're called upon to endure trials shows that the Lord sees in something, sees in us something precious, which he desires to develop. So I want to encourage you today, if you're having a trial in your life, that means God is building something precious. He sees something precious in your life that he is seeking to refine. He does not cast worthless ore into the fire. The ultimate test, the first test is how do we trust God and hold on when it appears that he is silent? Test number two, how do we hold on when it appears that he's forgotten? Test number three, how do we hold on when the natural realm seems impossible? Test number four, how do you hold on when it seems like God has failed? How do we hold on and trust God when it seems like he has not come through? Imagine with me how the disciples must have felt. They have been with Jesus these years. They've heard him talk of the, of the coming kingdom and, and, and what God's going to do. And their, all their hopes are centered on Jesus. And then Jesus is hauled away and beaten and, and crowned with a crown of thorns. And he's put up on a cross to die. Can you imagine the disciples 
looking up at their Savior and Lord. They didn't understand what happened. Like, this wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, you are the Messiah, aren't you? This wasn't supposed to happen. What do we do when it seems like God has failed? Again, I don't know your stories in this room or what you have been through or what you're going through, but there are times in our lives that we feel like God has failed us. There are times that we feel like he's betrayed us. He didn't come through. How can we trust a God that doesn't come through? Some of you may have heard of the story of David Wilkerson. Um, David Wilkerson was uh, an evangelist that helped lead many young people in the gangs of New York um, to Christ back in the 18, 1880s, 1980s, not that long ago. He's known for the cross and the switchblade. Some of you may have heard about him. Anyway, just a um, tremendous witness um, to many. And in his later years, still being used for God, And he wrote this blog one day on his devotional blog that he wrote. And two hours after he wrote that blog, he went out to run some errands. And he was killed in a tragic car wreck. And everybody's like, how could this happen? You know, why did God allow this to happen? Why did this tragedy happen? But I want to read you what David wrote, what this man of God wrote before he was killed, two hours before he was killed. To believe when all means fail is exceedingly pleasing to God and is most acceptable. Jesus said to Thomas, you have believed because you have seen, but blessed are those that do believe and have not seen. Blessed are those who believe when there is no evidence of an answer to prayer, who trust beyond hope when all means have failed. Someone has come to the place of hopelessness, the end of hope, the end of all means. A loved one's facing death, and the doctors are giving no hope. Death seems inevitable. Hope is gone. The miracle that you prayed for is not happening. That is when Satan's hordes come to attack your mind with fear and overwhelming questions. Where is your God now? You prayed until you had no tears left. You fasted. You stood on the promises. Where's your God now? You trusted him. Blasphemous thoughts will be injected into your mind. Prayer failed. Faith failed. Don't quit on God. Just do not trust him anymore. It doesn't pay. Even questioning God's existence will be injected into your mind. These have been the devices of Satan for centuries. Some of the godliest men and women who ever lived were under such demonic attacks. To those going through the valley of the shadow of death, hear these words. Weeping will last through some dark, awful nights. And in that darkness, you will soon hear the Father whisper, I am with you. I cannot tell you why right now, but one day it will all make sense. You will see it was part of my plan. It was no accident. It was no failure on your part. Hold fast. Let me embrace you in your hour of pain. Beloved, God has never failed but to act in goodness and love. When all means fail, his love prevails. Hold fast to your faith. Stand fast in his word. There is no other hope in this world. No other hope in this world. 
Will we trust God when it seems all means have failed? You know, Ellen White speaks of this very clearly as well, how despondency may shake the most heroic faith. It's going to happen at some point in our lives, but God understands he still pities and loves. He reads the motives and purposes of the heart to wait patiently to trust when everything looks dark is the lesson that the leaders in God's work need to learn. Heaven will not fail them in their day of adversity. Nothing is apparently more helpless yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on God. Will we trust God? Will we hold on when it appears that he's silent? When it appears that he has forgotten us? When it appears that the natural realm seems too powerful? When it seems like he's failed? Will we trust God? That is the test that many of us, if we're not walked through, will walk through at some point. God is looking for a people when he comes back who have faith. Where are the people? Where are the people trusting in my word? Where are the people that will hold on to me? Now I want to share a little bit of of my testimony. And this is where it gets really interesting. (laughs) Um, We all have different growing up um, dreams and things that we just, we grow up thinking, you know, this is what I want God to do for me, right? You know, um, we have dreams, whether it's to do something uh, special as far as a job or career or whatever. Um, And we have dreams of what we think our life and family is going to be like and all of that. And I remember from being a a very young girl, um, just thinking about the fact that I was going to grow up and um, get married um, and have a big family. I wanted 12 children, actually. some say because they're cheaper by the dozen. Uh, <laughs> but I just loved children when I was young, um, even still a teenager. I always you know, had people giving me their kids um, just because I love to hold them and play with them and all of that. And so this was my dream growing up. And my parents um, actually met when they were very young, um, when they were still, oh, I think they even met before they were teenagers, but then got to know each other more when they were teenagers. And my dad decided when he was about 14 or 15, that he was interested in my mom, and God continued to work over the years, and about six, six years later, they were married, like when they were 20 and 21, or something like that, at a very young age. Anyway, uh, God bless them. They've had a happy marriage, and I remember growing up watching that and thinking, that's the story I want, too, right? When you see something good, you want to imitate it. Of course, when you see something bad, you don't want to imitate it, but you see something good, you want to imitate and so this was my story. And so I, um, there was a family in our lives at the time that had a couple boys, and one was older than the younger. Um, <laughs> one was older, one was younger. And I liked the older uh, young man. But my parents told me, I was still, I was still very young at the time because we knew this family growing up. And they said, actually, when you get older, I think it's going to be the younger man that you're going to want to be with. And I was, of course, like, no, he's younger than me. <laughs> I like Mr. Older brother. (laughs) 
But as time went on, we ended up going to high school together, even though he was younger than me and he was behind me. Ended up in high school together eventually, and we just became better and better friends. Time went on. Neither one of us were dating or in a relationship, and we were just becoming better friends. And I began praying, actually, when I was a teenager um, for my future husband. I began praying for that man that God would have for me, but I also had eyes on this certain man, and I began praying that God would bring us together. After all, my parents had told me when I was 13, this is the man we think that you should marry when you get older. So I'm praying. Time goes on. I keep praying. Um, it was actually due to his influence that I ended up going to the college that I did, the university that I did. It was due to his influence that I really got uh, involved in missions and became a nurse. And so he had a really, really profound influence on my life, which I'm really thankful for. And we were becoming better friends. He wasn't dating anybody. I wasn't dating anybody. And the interesting thing was, he would tell me, we were such good friends, he would tell me about the different girls that he was kind of interested in. And I would be thinking in my head, like, when's he going to wake up and realize she's right here <laughs> in front of him? <laughs> but um, it wasn't happening and it wasn't happening. Finally, somewhere near the end of college, um, another good friend that I'd become friends with at college, this was, of course, very private. No one knew what I was praying. This was just in my own personal heart, you know. Um, I was very serious. I have to say, when I was a young person, I wasn't... I was one of those girls I was looking at, you know, guys and thinking, hmm, is this the type of guy I'd like to marry? Hmm, maybe we should be better friends. Maybe he's the type of guy I'd like to marry, right? <laughs> but it wasn't just like, oh, I want to have a boyfriend just to have fun. I was really, really serious. And some people say I'm still too serious. But anyway, so this was my, this was my mentality. So nobody knew. It was just very private in my own heart. Anyway, we were at um, the university together, and one of my close girlfriends, she invited me to go with her to... Um, a special banquet that they were having. Well, it turns out um, another young man asked her to go to the same banquet. She was kind of nervous, and she says, Melody, would you go with us to the banquet? Um, even, you know, and so I was like, sure, I'll go with you. And then I found out who had invited her to the banquet, and it was him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Lord, what did I get myself into? <laughs> but I wanted to support her, so I went with her to this banquet. Of course, he and I were friends, and she and I were friends, but this was very awkward. So it was a very, very difficult situation. <clears throat> and um, we went home after that, and she and I talked and prayed. And I said, I just want you to know, this guy's a really good guy. And if, if God leads you together, I support you 100%. But leave me out of your dating life. <laughs> <laughs> because I can't handle this. So anyway, we had a good talk and just really open, and that, of course, helped our friendship become stronger. Time went on, and they ended up getting engaged and um, ended up getting married, and they ended up asking me to be in their wedding. <laughs> and some people may say, well, this is crazy. How could you do that? But you know what? I knew when I saw them get together that God had called them to be together. Why would I try to separate that? You know, why would I try to get in the way of, of their relationship? It was just perfect. I don't know why I didn't see it coming before. And so I was like, I'm going to stand in support. It was a little weird walking down the aisle with the guy that I thought I was going to be marrying. <laughs> but I knew that God was leading um, them together. But do you know how long I actually waited and prayed for that guy? <laughs> Eight years. Eight years I prayed and I waited thinking that he was the one. All these different things kept happening and happening, and it just kept um, going on, seeming 
like um, God's leading us together. You know, you're praying about someone, you have this in your head, and, and this happens, and you're like, it's God. <laughs> He's opening the door. Look at this providential thing happens. It's God. And you keep thinking. And so I went all these years seeing all these things happening, thinking he was the one. He was the destination for me. And so when it actually happened, I saw that they were to be together. So that was not a problem. I was not angry at them but I became very angry at God. Because I was thinking in my head, like, why did you allow me to pray eight years thinking I was going to marry this man? I mean, my, in my thoughts, we were going to go off and be missionaries together, and do this together, and do this, and I basically built my little future around him. And I began thinking, Lord, I mean, like, what's, what's the matter if I really pray anyway? He's just going to do what he's going to do. After all, why am I praying? I mean, if anyone was claiming the promises and standing upon the word or all these things, I was doing it. And I was like, Lord, you failed me. You know, because of this situation, a very, very difficult experience in my life, I actually lost my faith in God for a period of time. And it wasn't just like I chose to walk away from God. It wasn't like I just chose to stop believing God. But I was like, I can't trust him. He let me down. He betrayed me. I can't trust him. So I stopped reading the word. I stopped praying. I stopped memorizing scripture, all things that I was doing. I stopped praying the word, all these things. And gradually, my life went down, down, down. I managed to graduate from college, from Southern Adventist University. It was sheer grit um, that got me through that last semester and went home and began working as a nurse, as a registered nurse. And that's basically when my life started falling apart more. And I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't eating properly. My heart was broken. I didn't feel like I could trust the Word of God, so I started filling my mind with things to take away the pain. Now, I wasn't the type that could just like, oh, I'm going to go drink and do drugs and stuff like that. You know, that wasn't an attraction for me at all. But... You know, my love story failed, the one that I dreamed about. So I started filling my mind with, you know, the fake ones, you know, different romance movies and things like that, because at least for a little time I could enjoy someone else's love story and romance because mine hadn't worked out, right? So you kind of numb your mind with these different things. But it was a really, really difficult predicament that I found myself in because I didn't feel like I could trust God I didn't feel like I could really hold on to his word. On the other hand, I didn't want to go live in the world of darkness. I didn't want to go serve Satan. I mean, I mean, all that stuff just, I'm, I'm abhorred, you know. I don't want to be that. So what do you do when you're stuck in the middle? You can't trust God. You can't serve the devil. You don't want to go there, but it's just like you have nowhere to go. It's a very, very dark, discouraging place. And I basically fell into a very, very deep depression. Now, initially, I didn't recognize what was going on. And I have to be honest, I shared some of this earlier, so you might have gotten this. I always thought I was a really pretty good person. You know, I had, God had given me success and this and this. People sought me for spiritual leadership and different things. And, you know, if, if somebody needed a right answer, actually in high school, I had girlfriends that would come to me at night for counseling and special things because they thought Melody had an answer for them. And so I was just, you know, one of those people that, that had, quote-unquote, the answers. But now I don't have the answers. 
But I was very, very private about this because I don't want anybody to know what I'm going through. And when you fall into depression, often it is a very, very private thing because you're like, what's wrong with me? And nobody can see this. And so it's very private. People don't know. You begin to put on this mask and yet you're going about your life and you're just empty and hollow inside. And I go home and cry and all these things. And my parents would be like, Melody, I think you have depression and you need help. <laughs> and I'm like, I do not have depression. Just give me time. And I'm crying and weeping and all these things. It was, it was so horrible. I began going down, down, down. It actually got so bad. And this is, um, this is really hard to imagine. If, if people would have seen where I was during this time, you would never imagine that I would be doing what I am today because God has brought me out of such a pit of darkness. There was a time in my life, not very long ago, you know, I'm, I'm looking probably 12 years ago now, that I didn't want to live. I felt like, like I said, I had no option, both sides. I didn't know what to do. And I began thinking in my heart and my head, how could I end my life in such a way that it would not look like it was a suicide? I don't want to leave that legacy for my family, right? I don't want them to have that on them, but I don't, I just, my whatever for living, my purpose for living has been wiped away and it was just such a low spot. I began recognizing um, about this time and someone also did me the favor of showing me some of the, uh, you may have heard of the Nedley Depression Recovery Program, which is a powerful program. Someone showed me some of their 10 hit categories that people with depression struggle with. And I looked at those and they showed me, you have this, you have this, you have this, you have this. I had seven out of the 10 hit categories. And I was like, wow. I think I need help. <laughs> I think I need help. And so I began um, recognizing, you know, if something didn't happen, it was, it was going to be over. I remember one day at one of my lowest times, I just had uh, a fight with some of my family members. I'd been very angry and frustrated and just had nowhere to vent my frustration. I had broken some things. It was just really frustrating and, and very dark. And I went, well, I went for this walk this one day and it was raining. How perfect of a day. You're, you're feeling horrible. And I always think when I'm feeling horrible and I go outside and it's raining, God's crying with me. <laughs> and that, you know, comforts me. He, he's crying with me. I'm crying out there in the rain and I'm just like, God, can you still do anything with my life? I felt like when I was young, you had a purpose for me. I felt like you had a future and a hope. But I've just, I've blown it and I've lost it. And you know, I haven't been spending time with you, and I don't even feel like I have faith anymore. I'm like, God, can you still save me? Can you still do something in my life? I was just crying, and I was just like, God, please help me. I don't know what to do, but if you can just show me that you're still here. I'm crying. And right then, when I prayed that prayer, please help me, the clouds above me literally opened up, and the sunshine came down right on me where I was in the rain. And I remember looking up at the sunshine and thinking, oh Lord, you're still there. You still care, you've heard me. You have a purpose for me. And it was that point, it was that turning point that God began to pull me up out of that pit of depression. But I actually had to come to a point 
where I recognized I was completely hopeless, completely lost, and I could not go forward. There was nothing good in myself anymore. I mean, there was nothing good I could hold on to. It was out of this experience that God began to instill in my heart, you know what? I need you to make my life. I tried for 20-some years to make my life what I thought it was supposed to be, and I failed big time. I don't want to do this anymore. I want you to make my life. Show me. I don't even understand the cross. I don't even understand what the cross should mean to me. Show me what the cross means to me. It was out of that difficult circumstance that I began asking, Lord, help me. Show me. I don't want to go back to just life as normal living. I don't want to go back to just mediocre Christianity, which I lived for those first years. And it's not like it was a bad life. It was a good life, but it was a mediocre wilderness experience. And I began praying, Lord, show me, take me more. It was that experience. And as I did, and of course, I ended up um, doing the Nedley Depression Recovery Program. I ended up starting all over again, just like a baby, reading the scriptures and saying, okay, Lord, we're going to start at the beginning. Teach me again how to have faith in your word. I started reading the word. I started praying just out of my desperate need. I've lost it, but I trust that you have the answers and that you can help me. And God slowly, slowly, slowly Actually, it wasn't so slowly. He's, he's very merciful. I was the one that was slow. He rebuilt my faith, and he actually brought me to um, an even better experience, you know, as I've been sharing over the last day, of, of what it is like to have a, a vibrant walk with him. You know, there's this powerful, I'm quoting gospel workers, it says, the very trials that test our faith most severely and make it seem that God has forsaken us, are designed to lead us near to Christ, that we may lay all our burdens at his feet and receive the peace that he gives us in exchange. When you surrender yourself entirely to God, when you fall all broken upon Jesus, you will be rewarded by a victory, the joy of which you have never yet realized. So long as the soul rests with unshaken confidence in the virtue and power of the atonement, it will stand firm as a rock to principle, and the power of Satan and his angels cannot sway it from its integrity. The truth as it is in Jesus is a wall of fire around the soul that clings to him. Now, as I began to come out of this experience, I want to tell you, in the early part of my Christian walk, my faith was very much an emotional, feely, up-and-down roller coaster. But God began to teach me, you have to have faith on the word of God. My faith was founded in a person. And when that person left me and failed me, keep in mind, we were never together to start with. We never had an official whatever relationship. I was just praying and believing this was what God was going to do, right? That's what I thought in my head. My faith was founded in a dream. And when that dream failed, my faith did as well. God began to teach me, you have to have trust in me. You have to base your love relationship with me. And it was out of this experience that he grew um, what, I, what I like to call is my heavenly love. I don't always share this when I do seminars, but I'm just going to run through this really quickly. This will especially speak to the women in the audience, but the men can transform this as well to their own side of things. But I recognized, you know, instead of saying my, you know, dreams and, and wishes for this earthly prince I was praying for, it needed to be rooted in God. He has to be my first love. He has to be my first companion. So there were things that I had prayed for in a future husband, and I'm going to share those with you really quickly. <clears throat> I prayed for a man committed to God. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. 
I prayed for a man who would be a spiritual leader. Jesus unashamedly declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I prayed for a man of high standards and integrity. Others testified, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. I prayed for a man of the word. Jesus opened up his arms with love as he whispered, I'm the living word, and I came to live with you. I prayed for a man who knew how to be a servant. And then I heard others whisper with amazement, Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I prayed for a man who was full of spiritual life. He smiled again. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I prayed for a man who would be the head of the home. Then I realized that Jesus was knocking on my door, begging to be allowed to be the head of my home and heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I prayed for a man of steel and velvet, someone who would be strong but also tender. Then I remember Jesus' words as the nails were driven into his hands. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And how even on the cross he cared for his mother. I prayed for a man who knew how to love others, even the unpleasant outcast. Jesus replied in that, well, you were still sinners. The lowest outcast, I died for you. I prayed for someone who I could share my deepest thoughts, dreams, someone who would walk with me through joys and sorrows, someone that would hold not only my hand but my heart, and someone I could stand behind love and respect with all my heart. I, stood up, I looked up in awe as he not only began to walk beside me and hold my hand, but also began to share with me the hidden riches and secrets of eternity, a heart companionship and beauty that I had never had with another. And I just knew that he was someone I could not only love, but stand behind and serve for the rest of my life. You're going to love this one. I know this may be frivolous, God, and it's a small thing, but could you send me someone romantic? <laughs> I would prayed, could you send me someone who will love me so much that he'll want me and only me and will be willing to do whatever it takes to win my heart? Jesus said nothing as he laid down his heavenly honor and came to earth to win me. Although I doubted his love and resisted his advances at first, he slowly, sweetly, tenderly won my heart in love. Then he laid me to, led me to his banqueting house, and the banner he put over me was love. Last but not least, I prayed for a man who would not be afraid of pain or trials. I then realized that it was he, Jesus, who was carrying my cross and making the ultimate sacrifice of love, not just for anyone, but for me. Tears rolled down my cheeks as I stood in awe and my heart melted. Jesus is not just any man. He is all this and so much more. Our Lord, our Savior, our lawgiver, our King, our best friend, truly he is my all in all. The, the true love I still have yet to truly understand. You know, this is what Jesus wants to be for each one of us. So often we go to relationships looking for them to fulfill what we need in our lives, looking to them to fulfill that empty place that we need, filled, but only he can fill it. Only he can satisfy our deeper, deepest longings. And he began to teach me, I want to be your true love. You've been praying all these years, eight years for this man to be, you know, your love, and you think you're going to live happily ever after. I want to be your true love. And this really began to change my life and my experience and just brought me back to a very vibrant walk with him. Do you want to hear part two? <laughs> so part two of the story, um, God has healed me. He's brought me back to such a healthier place, in fact, better place than I ever was before. And um, God began to lead in different ways with ministries starting and different things that I was involved with. And I met another man. Amen. <laughs> 
And he was, I thought, I thought when I met him, I'm like, now I understand why I didn't meet, I mean, why I didn't get with guy number one, right? Because guy number two is much better. <laughs> and so I began praying, and we were working together and doing different things. Um, even did some mission trips together with the ministry. And time went on, and I kept praying. And he found the woman of his dreams, and it wasn't me. <laughs> he found the woman of his dreams, and they got married. And again, when they got married, I was just like, yep, they're supposed to be together. That was right. You know how long? I prayed and waited for that guy. <laughs> eight years. It was another eight years, actually. But there was a difference this time. Because when I was praying for this guy, a really good guy, by the way, who's texting me. <laughs> While I was praying for this guy, my hands were open. The first time they weren't open, right? I was clutching. But the second time when this happened, I was like, Lord, if this is not to be the man, it seems like you might be leading this way, but if this is not to be the man, take him, send him to the right person, help him to meet the girl. And so when that happened, I was like, thank you for answering my prayer. And I was able to move on. It was almost like God had to take me around Mount Sinai again to see if I was actually, if I was actually um, <laughs> going to trust him. But I was thinking, I mean, another eight years? You know what I tell young people now when I tell this testimony? Before you start praying for a guy, wait to start praying for him until he actually asks you to marry him. <laughs> Maybe it's not best to start praying for him until you know without a shadow of a doubt that he's actually interested in you and he wants to be together. Um, because this was the story of my life. But listen, we're going to close off here in just a few more minutes. In the future life, we're told the mysteries that have annoyed and disappointed us will be made plain. We shall see that our seemingly <clears throat> unanswered prayers and disappointed hopes have been among our greatest blessings. It's hard to understand, but God knows what he's doing. You know, looking back after those two men, I spent 16 years of my life praying for two men that did not end up to be my husband. But looking back from the vantage point of where I am today, and, this is, and I've actually felt this way for a few years now, I'm so thankful that God did not allow me to marry either one of those men. They're really good men. They're spiritual men. They're serving God in the capacity that God has given them. But I would not be where I am today. Daring to ask for more would have never been written all these different things that God has been leading me in ministry, not the ways I was thinking or dreaming because I wanted to be a missionary down in the jungles of South, Af or South America. That's what I thought. <laughs> but I am so thankful that God did not answer those prayers that I passionately prayed for 16 years because he knew. I went to the Philippines, and this was actually the first time I... Wait, 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 wait. Can't see that yet. This was the first time I actually started sharing this testimony. Because, you know, for almost 24 years, I have been walking a single journey, thinking, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to be faithful, trying to serve you, trying to trust you. I have prayed for some of my dearest friends to be married. They've married godly companions. I'm like, Lord, you answered my prayers for them. What about me? Have you forgotten me? Seems like it's getting a little late now. Did you forget? You're silent. What's going on now? It seems like the natural realms are getting more and more impossible. You know, you think, you know, we girls think, you know, when we turn 30 that our biological clock is ticking and it's about to run out. <laughs> You're thinking all these things like, God, what are you doing? But I have walked the journey 
seeking to trust God in silence. So this summer, I was struggling with this group of young people. I was like, Lord, how do I reach them? I was struggling. How do I communicate with them? I spent almost a night in prayer praying because of this group that I was speaking to. It just wasn't going through. And and I felt like God told me, you've been telling people all around the world how he's answering your prayers and the different things that he's doing in your life. Why don't you tell him him about the times he hasn't answered your prayers and how he has grown you and brought you? Would you be the person you are today if you had not walked through 23, almost 24 years of praying and waiting and trusting and growing and growing and trusting and falling back and then picking up again and holding on and asking him to take you? Would you be who you are if you hadn't gone through that? So I was praying, and I was just like, okay, God, This is a vulnerable part of my life I haven't shared with people before. I really don't want to share until the story's done. After it's done, (laughs) then I'll share. But I felt like he was asking me to do this. And when I was in the Philippines, I felt like he began to show me why he had allowed me to go through this. I shared my testimony. This young man came up to me. He said, Miss Melody, God said no to you so that he could say yes to us, so that you could come and teach us how to have a relationship with him. Would it be worth our going through? This pain, this struggle, these trials. If even one soul came into the kingdom as a result, it's hard to think that, but it would be worth it if one soul came into the kingdom because of a no that God gave you. I want to share a recommendation of two books that have made a profound influence in my life when it comes to waiting and trusting in God. And then I have a final quote that I'm going to share for you. Um, This first one, Quest for Love by Elizabeth Elliot, has really helped me wait on God. And then Sacred Singleness by Leslie Ludy. Actually, my story is actually featured in this book. And this has been... um, Powerful. What do we do when God says no, when we do not receive the very things we asked for at the time we ask? We're still to believe that the Lord hears and that he will answer our prayers. We are so erring and short-sighted that we sometimes ask for things that would not be a blessing to us. And our Heavenly Father in love answers our prayers by bringing us that which would be for our highest good. That which we ourselves would desire if with vision divinely enlightened we could see all things as they really are. When our prayers seem not to be answered, we are to cling to the promise for the time of answering will surely come. We shall receive the blessing when we need it most. But to claim that prayer will always be answered in the very way and for the particular thing we desire is presumption. God is too wise to err, too good to withhold any good thing from those that trust and walk with him. And this is the final quote. I want you to take this to heart. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. God knows what we need. When we do not receive it exactly as we hope or exactly as we pray, I want to challenge you, wait on him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are faithful even when we are faithless, but that you will carry us through. And Father, I just pray that sharing a little piece of this testimony, even though it's hard for me to share even now, that this can touch someone's life in this room and that they will be encouraged to hold on even if they don't understand what you're doing in their lives. Thank you, Father. Now go with us as we go to outreach and training. Just use us today for your glory and your precious name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. 
For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.